All right, we'll just pray and then we will open the message. Lord, I thank you for this privilege to open your word here today. I thank you, um, yeah, just for the chance we have here in New Zealand to open your word behind open doors um, that we don't have to do it in hiding. I pray that these words, these words and teachings will be from you um, and that any anything that's just my humanly wisdom that that will fall on deaf ears and it will be only your teachings that will take place in everyone's heart and that they'll be able to go forth from here with a greater understanding of your word. Amen. Alright, so this morning I'm going to continue teaching from the book of James. Picking up where I finished off last time at chapter 2 verse 14 where James starts to teach on the relationship between faith and works which is about evidencing our faith or the actions or good deeds. First, though, let's quickly recap where we covered up until last time in the last two messages. So, the book of James is made up of a number of standalone teachings on how to practically apply our faith in everyday living. In chapter 1, James introduces the main themes or topics that will be explored in depth in the following four chapters. First, he introduces his teaching on trials and how they're God's way of purifying our character. When we face trials, our impurities rise to the surface and so they can be addressed at this stage or refined as fire. Next, James introduces temptations and how these are we be faced on a daily basis, but how these are of the flesh and we must not blame God for these. We also must not give in to temptations, because if we do, they will lead to sin and death. James then instructs us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and not just to stop at listening to God's word, but actually put it into action. James finishes off chapter 1 stating that if we claim to be religious, but can't control our tongue, then we're only fooling ourselves. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God means caring for those in need, and refusing to let ourselves be corrupted by the world. In December, we explored the first part of chapter 2, so from verses 1 to 14, where James teaches us about favouritism and mercy. James brings a really strong case against favouritism with two key arguments. God doesn't show mercy... Oh, God, sorry... <laughs> God doesn't show favoritism, so why should we? And number two, favoritism is of this world, and we are not to be of this world. Next, James addresses the need to show mercy to others. If we break one law, we are guilty of breaking all of the laws. Therefore, we must show mercy to others so that we ourselves will be shown mercy when we stand before God on Judgment Day. Don't be like the servant in the parable who, after being given a large debt by the king, then goes off and drags his fellow servant away for not being able to repay a very small debt instantly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 2, Jesus says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. We will never keep all of the laws, Therefore, we will need mercy when we stand before God on Judgment Day. 
So now on to James chapter 2 for the second part of the passage which we will cover today. In chapter 2 verse 14 to 26, James teaches us about the relationship between faith and works. We'll start off by reading through the scripture and then we'll explore in depth from there. So reading from James chapter 2 verse 14 through to 26. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself is enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. So it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example She was shown to be right with God by your actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely on their way by a different road. Just as a body is dead without breath, so our faith is dead without good works. On first examination after reading this, it makes sense, right? How can we claim to be a believer and follower of God if our actions imitate the rest of the world? If we get drunk, swear, commit adultery... Turn a blind eye to those in need. But then again, doesn't that contradict what Paul teaches? That we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with his undeserved kindness, declares us to be righteous He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them all he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in God. In Jesus, sorry. 
But isn't James trying to say that we're saved by both faith and works and not solely by our faith in Christ Jesus? Are we faced with a dilemma where we must ignore one of these verses to then accept another? No. What we must do is reconcile the two together. To reconcile is the process of bringing two things that appear to be in conflict to a point of being compatible. When reading or teaching from the word, we shouldn't use one part of the scripture to then cancel out another. For all scriptures God breathes and and useful for teaching and correcting. But rather we should read each verse in context and find out how they can work together. The Bible isn't put together as one big picture as such or as a linear argument with each book starting off where the previous left and following the exact same line. But rather it is better thought of as a mural with all of the different books coming together to form a beautiful image of God's creation of mankind and rescue plan to save us from our sinful nature and reconcile us to him after we turned away from him. A good first step when trying to reconcile two passages of scripture with apparent conflict is to start off by defining the key words and working out how the author meant us to interpret them. The key word in both of these passages is faith. Paul says, we are saved by faith alone. But James says, in chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And he's clearly saying it as a rhetorical question. So what does Paul mean by faith? Romans chapter 2, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 22 We are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And skipping ahead to halfway through verse 26. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares all sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. What Paul is calling faith here is the act of inviting Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Saviour. Turning to James, however, he uses the word faith quite differently. Reading from James chapter 2, verse 14 again. What good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And note that phrase, can such a faith. Carrying on, James says in verse 18 through to 20. But now someone may argue, some people have faith, Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? When James talks about faith, He's meaning a faith of actions, oh sorry, a faith of words and not actions. An intellectual acceptance of certain truths without genuine trust or surrender to Jesus as our Saviour. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. It is also important to understand the audience of the book. James is writing to Jewish believers 
freed from the bondage of the law and who were experiencing the freedom of being freed from the bondage and shackles that the religious leaders had put on them with rules. They had been taught about salvation through faith, but potentially some were taking this a next step further and thinking confession of the faith with their mouth saved them. They were going from one extreme to the other, from we must meet all the laws to be saved to works don't matter at all. James teaches us that works are a valid demonstration of faith. Paul also understood the importance of works with confirming our faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Reading from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 to 10, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourself, it is a gift of God, not by words, so that no so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then again in Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Titus chapter, uh, sorry, Titus chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So do Paul and James contradict each other? No. Both are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we should not use one to cancel out the other, but rather, as we have just done, we reconcile the two and find the common ground. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. James doesn't contradict this, but rather expands and talks about what kind of faith we are saved by. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. I'll say that again. So faith alone saves, but faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. The way we demonstrate our faith is real is through our good works. And here's where we've found the difference between how Paul and James are meaning for the word faith to be interpreted. Paul is talking about an alive faith in Jesus Christ as our saviour. However, James uses the word faith to describe someone who claims to be a believer, but their faith is dead. Their life doesn't reflect their faith, so their faith is only words and nothing more. Jesus taught on this matter too, as we can read in James, uh, sorry, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Reading from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a 
fruit, a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, for grace with works is not grace. Grace with works is not grace. Our salvation through faith is a gift that no man can boast about. We did not earn it, and we cannot earn it. But what James is saying is, how can you claim to have a faith that saves you, and a live faith, if you don't show that in the way you live? He examines the relationship between faith and works. James doesn't believe that someone can be saved by a faith that is not evidence in their action, a dead faith. And this reflects the teachings of Jesus that a tree will be known by the fruit it produces. And Paul also supports us with his teachings. Only a living faith in Jesus Christ can save us. So now that we've looked to reconcile the teachings of Paul and James, let's look further into the relationship between faith and works and what further teachings James has for us on the subject. Continuing on in James chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely on their way by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Remembering that the audience of this book is Jewish believers, James is making some key illustrations with these two examples. Firstly, looking at Abraham, the father of the Israelites. James highlights how Abraham was made right with God by his actions, when he surrendered everything to God and was even willing to sacrifice his only son through whom he'd be promised descendants as numerous as stars in the sky. And there's a couple of key points about this that I think James was trying to get at. Many Jewish people at the time thought that through being descendants of Abraham that they were made right with God. But what James is saying is that Abraham was made right with God through putting his faith into action. And so being chosen was not enough by itself. It wasn't just enough for Abraham to be called by God. He was made righteous and called a friend of God by his obedience when he demonstrated his faith in action by leaving the end of Ur where he lived and traveling on to Canaan. And his obedience was even... And by his obedience, he was even willing to sacrifice his only son. I also think that what James is trying to illustrate here is the type of actions that demonstrate a living faith. We read about good deeds that the Pharisees and religious leaders showed in the day to try and demonstrate their faith in Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 to 12. Matthew 22, verse 1 to 12. Sorry. 
Matthew 23, verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the heads of the table at banquets and the seats of honour in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you only have one teacher. And all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be your servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The examples that James uses as demonstrating a living faith clearly illustrates that these so-called good works of the Pharisees were only just for show. As Jesus said regarding the Pharisees, practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. Abraham wasn't shown to be right with God by any public display of good works. Rather, his acts of obedience was made solely in the presence of God. He travelled to a mountain, left the servant behind, carrying on alone with Isaac. There was no public praise or recognition of his obedience. The recognition that Abraham received was straight from God. James says, We are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. And bringing this to a personal level, Although the way in which God tested Abraham's faith through asking him to sacrifice his only son was unique, and so God will not necessarily test our faith by asking us to give up someone we love. However, our faith can be tested in so many other ways. Would we be willing to sacrifice or surrender to him something we hold close to our heart, our reputation, our job or money, our time, James then chooses a vastly different example to illustrate his point with Rahab. A woman, a prostitute, and a Gentile. In the times in which this book was written, I think these three things would have made this person about as despised as they come about among the Jewish people. Just think of the prostitute who came and poured perfume on Jesus' feet. And what the Jewish people at that Um, dinner there at that time said about her but James challenges his Jewish audience on their judgment of this person he says she was shown to be made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them on their way safely I think what James is trying to demonstrate here is it doesn't matter if a person is Jew or Gentile, man or woman or even what their past life was They are made right with God through a living faith which is demonstrated by their actions. Being Jewish was not enough to save them. 
Only a living faith saves. This doesn't mean that God condoned Rahab's profession, and I'm sure she brought a change in her life after this event. However, it would have been a confronting picture for the Jewish audience that James was writing to. So if our faith is shown by our deeds, let's look at what kind of deeds we should be evident in the lives of believers. Jesus said, A tree will be known by its fruit. In other words, a person will be known by their actions. So what kind of fruit should we be bearing as Christians? Again, before we investigate this, remember, faith alone saves, but a faith that saves is not alone. It has good works with it. A key passage that comes to mind when we talk about the fruit we should bear is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. If you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And we'll start reading at verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces these kinds of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And this passage again supports how Paul understood the importance of good works to evidence a living faith. He starts off the list with the fruit of love. Now this is not to be confused with what the world calls love in our modern day society. This is not a romantic or emotion driven love which is unstable and self-seeking. In fact, this kind of love basically wraps up all of the fruit that follow. If you could turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Reading from this famous chapter on love, Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. As Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So I believe the most important fruit of the Spirit that we must show as a demonstration of our faith is loving our neighbor. And Jesus explained who our neighbour is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Our neighbour is anyone in need. And this links back to what James describes as good works. Caring for those in need. need, Orphans, widows, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty. And the last passage which I'd like to look at is 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. John writes, 
Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions show that we belong to the truth, so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Our actions are not only important to demonstrate living faith, but also as a witness to the world around us. John tells us that our actions are a testimony to the unbelievers around us. If we say that we love one another, but don't back this up with our actions, then we'll be called liars and hypocrites by this world. But if our actions align with our faith, then we'll be a light in the darkness. Often nowadays, churches try to appeal and seem favourable to the world by aligning their actions to society. The atmosphere in the churches is modelled to replicate a normal concert, and sin is openly tolerated and accepted with pregnancies outside of marriage within church leadership, adultery, and so many other sins that are condemned by the Bible are widely tolerated. Rather than water down Christianity to make it palatable to the world, John is telling believers to hold tight to the faith and demonstrate that what we share is true by how we demonstrate our love for one another. Finishing on James's final remark on the relationship between faith and works in James chapter 2, verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So to conclude what we've covered. So we're not to get confused that we are saved by our works, but rather our actions are a good indication of the health of our faith. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, but the faith is not alone. It has good works. We are saved by an alive and active faith, not a dead and intellectual faith. James brings back everything to practical Christianity. Caring for people who are in need. In chapter 1 he talks about caring for orphans and widows, and here he expands on caring for those needing clothing and food. James repeats caring for others multiple times as examples of deeds evidencing faith. And then our actions are a witness to the world, either good or bad. It's so easy to fall into, I'm a Christian so I'm saved and I sometimes read my Bible and I go to church. But then we show no love or patience or self-control. We claim to believe but we do not help those who are in need. It is a good check. Is our faith alive and genuine or is it simply an intellectual acceptance of God? And I'll close there in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy through which we are saved. Um, That it was nothing that we did and it was not by our works, but it was actually by your works, Lord, um, on the cross when you demonstrated your love for mankind um, to reconcile us to you. And Lord, I pray that we won't take this faith for granted. We won't take this gift for granted that we will just really um, yeah, take a full awareness of what the price was that you paid um, and what your response you call from us is with regards to after we have accepted you in our lives that we do leave our, leave our sinful nature behind and follow you. Uh, Lord, I pray that 
this teachings today will have been from you and that anything that it wasn't um, will not take place in anyone's heart and so that they'll have a greater understanding of your word as you meant for them to be interpreted. Amen.